now they're making Ghostbusters with only women. What's going on? Shut up and sit down. We will respond with that timeless creed that sums up the spirit of a people. Yes, we can. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on Earth. I know the human being and fish can coexist peacefully. Read my lips. And then we're going to Washington, D.C. to take back the White House. Ah! I love the poorly educated. We're the smartest people. We're the most loyal people. So glad it's not as hot in here this week. <laughs> so much better. The humidity's down. <laughs> the humidity's down. There's no sun. It's it's great. It's, it's so much better. I have nothing. Um interesting to say this week so i'm just I'm starting with, with the weather is perfect starting with the weather is always best to start a conversation yeah on that note welcome back guys it's barstool politics uh i'm your host nick mcguire uh joined as always by dr bill muck from north central college uh, and dr phil barker from Keene state college and we have our senior legal analyst with us uh tom kavanaugh how's it going it's going really well <laughs> i enjoy using that title the fact that we even have a senior legal it's analyst great it's great um I, I, it's it's just crazy. <laughs> but before we get, we should tell people that we have a, a special episode yes. this week. Yes. yes, we should. God, I forget the plugs and all that. And yeah, so uh, later this week we'll be releasing a uh, special Supreme Court uh, decision episode, which Tom was nice enough to help us with uh, and pretty much lead. Um, I certainly had no input in that whatsoever. <laughs> um, yeah, check that out. We'll release it on Friday, so look for that. Um, if you're liking the podcast or have questions about it or comments or beer suggestions or anything like that, follow us on Facebook at Barstool Politics, Twitter at Barstool Paul, P-O-L. Beers that we try you can find on the Untapped app on iOS and Android. The podcast you can find on SoundCloud and Stitcher and Spreaker and Google Play Music and lots of podcasting platforms. Uh, and then like us and um, share us on iTunes. Um, lots of good reviews on there already, so we, you, we appreciate that. Have you been asking your smart speaker to play us, Nick? Also that, no. <laughs> I don't have smart speakers in my home because oh, I don't trust the fantastic. government. All you got to do is say, hey, Siri, put on uh, Barstool Politics Podcast, and mm -hmm. there we go. It's, it's amazing. <laughs> so you guys do that. Yes. And let me know how it works. Um, yeah, it's just a bizarre week. I feel like... Uh, people are just at each other's throats at this point and it's not good immigration and incivility and foreign trade wars trade wars and potential dictatorships and yeah it's it's i was i i would go through the news stories every morning when i wake up when i would wake up and i go all right i have to save this i have to save this i was looking at things before we started recording i have like 15 stories that i wanted to share or remember it's out of control it's, it's a tense time right you know people are it's a little, a little on tense edge. Yeah. they're a tad on edge yeah that's why we drink when we talk this, about these immigration things. stuff is, <laughs> yeah it's, all right yeah well let's dive into immigration so uh president trump president trump's zero tolerance policy on immigration boiled over into a political crisis last week after separating at least 2,500 children from their migrant parents, pressure from across the political spectrum 
forced Trump to reluctantly issue an order to end the policy family separation. This was after he had claimed that only Congress could fix the problem. By week's end, Trump was done with Congress and tweeted that his party should stop wasting time until voters elect more Republicans to Congress. Over the course of the week, the president's rhetoric about migrants also escalated, tweeting, quote, we cannot allow all of these people to invade our country. He's also used increasingly dehumanizing terms like infest to describe those crossing the border. Uh, by, again, by the end of the week, he seemed to be done with the idea of due process and tweeted, quote, when somebody comes in, we must immediately, with no judges or court cases, bring them back from where they came. Gentlemen, this issue clearly touched a nerve across the country. And while Trump's order ending the policy of family separation has temporarily calmed the waters, this isn't going anywhere. Phil, you often use the word infest when I come to visit, don't you? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So why don't you start us off? What was your general reaction to the week's developments? Um, I mean, I think there's lots of ways you could go with this. Uh, the, I mean, we talked a little bit, la I think last week, uh, or I guess two weeks ago, because I wasn't here last week, um, about how a lot of what the Trump administration is doing is not necessarily legally wrong, but it's morally concerning. Um, <laughs> and I think this kind of lines up with, with that to some extent. Um, the due process stuff. I'll be interested to hear what I'd be interested to hear Tom's take on on the due process side of this because I, I you know, I'm familiar with the. Um, there's a lot in international law in terms of you know rights and privileges that you are given in terms of uh, you know if you are a refugee you can't be returned to the country um, in which you are fear for your life based on a specific set of of, of characteristics. Um, which we had talked about, domestic violence and things like those aren't in that list. So there's there's lots of sort of legal uh, fuzziness. But the whole point of due process is that these the people who have made it into the United States have the right to essentially prove that, right? They have a right if they have a right to refugee status or to 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 apply for asylum status. Um, but they have to have the process available to them. So the the willingness to just essentially cut it off, cut off all rights because they are not citizens concerns me um a little bit um and the other part of it go yeah ahead. go ahead i was gonna say that that plays out the trump administration has been very clear to say that if you come through a port of entry you can apply right. for asylum right. but if you cross the border illegally you no longer have that right or you I, I actually you still have the right to apply for asylum but we will simultaneously charge you with the crime uh which again is in this really weird place in terms of international law it's not clear whether that's in violation or not and if you show up at a port of entry, they don't say, hey, come on in. Here's right. a, a desk in a room and some paperwork to do. Right. right. It's a long line um, and you may not even get in. That's the other issue. The other part of it that I think is is a, is not that surprising, but is concerning in this grand scheme of things is the extent to which this is a crisis created by Trump, blamed on others and then solved by <laughs> Trump. Right. The, the, the yes. way he talks about it was was just detached from truth right yes. so the argument if he wants to make an argument that this is uh how we should be dealing with immigrants then make that argument but the idea that this was a democratic policy democrat democratic party policy that he is being bound to in some way that he will solve with an executive order is just not accurate mm -hmm. um so that that is is uh, a little worrisome and the, the problem is not solved. I think part of the other issue is that people tend to think, oh, it's been addressed and, and there's not family separation, but they're just being detained with their family. So there are still large numbers of people 
which in detention. ultimately can become an issue of violating the law because the law, the one law that they were initially trying to deal with, says that you can't detain children after so many days. So ultimately, this this will come back and have to be addressed. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, Tom, due process. <laughs> <laughs> to the best of my knowledge, we have never had a federal appellate or Supreme Court decision on whether or not. Uh, due process is owed under these circumstances. Of course, the Constitution says rights are given to persons, mm-hmm. not citizens. So one assumes, uh, and the law has generally said this, that even those here illegally are entitled to uh, a range of constitutional protections, but not all of them. So uh, it, it might not be a bad idea uh, it, it, for us to clarify the question of the degree to right. which we owe uh, those here without our permission um, a full panoply of due process rights, which are expensive, time-consuming, and difficult. Um, uh, but one of the parts to this but argument that I, oh, go I'm ahead. Gonna, but you're a, you're a good you're a libertarian, right? Like mm-hmm. the the you, you don't you. It seems like you you don't want uh, your human rights or your civil rights to be decided by whether or not. I mean, just stripping it away just by saying, yeah, you're you're not one of us seems problematic, right? Uh, I'm a libertarian who thinks the Constitution matters. There it is. Right. And and I think due process is is an easy phrase to utter. I don't mean it's easy for you, but I mean, uh, when we think about what it takes to provide due process, some of the cases that we talk about started years and years and years ago before they get to a final disposition. It's really expensive. It's really hard. Uh, and, and I guess what I'm saying is it would be helpful if courts would sort out the degree to which our, our generally agreed notions of due process apply in this context. Yes, I'm a libertarian. Yes, I'm generally in favor of free markets uh, and of uh, largely open borders. But I note in this debate a, a sort of an interesting thing. It feels like the rest of the world doesn't have borders. Only we do. Right. And it feels like the rest of the world uh, just sort of kindly allows people to march across their, uh, their borders to the extent they have them at all. And it's just us that doesn't. And, and I don't think that's true. Right. Canada and Mexico have merit or money immigration rules. So if you don't do something they need or bring money with you to support yourself, uh, you don't get in. And I, I, it, there, there's something odd to me about the notion that uh, we ought to be different, at, at least with respect to enforcing our own laws. Mm-hmm. I, but I, I, are we arguing that we are? I mean, I, I, I don't think the, the idea of you are here, if you have come without documentation and, and you're in the U.S., you know, illegally, um, I, the, the idea of d- deporting people or whatever is not, I mean, to some extent that is being debated, but what, what is at play here in terms of the due process part is questions of asylum and refugee status, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or separate child separation. Like those are the big issues that, that Trump has made an issue, right? I mean, so right. yeah, these are, these are problems that the Obama administration dealt with at the George W. Bush administration. Decades, and they, they right, are right. genuine problems. And it's one thing For that sure. strikes me about the Trump administration or Trump himself is that, 
sometimes the issues he picks are, are legitimate issues, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, yep. we're going to talk about trade wars. Mm-hmm. There are real concerns with how China deals with our intellectual property, and I think those need to be dealt with. How Trump goes about confronting those problems always is infuriating for me because mm-hmm. there are other ways that could be more productive to solve the problem, which makes right. me think he's he's not really concerned about solving the problem, but it's some other... I don't know. It's the appearance of what's going on. I'm already eager to hear the ways that Bill Muck is going to solve the intellectual property (laughs) problem with China, (laughs) given the wide range of opportunities Donald Trump's predecessors have had to do that. Mm -hmm. We're not there yet. Yeah, okay. So I just want to tell you how eagerly I anticipate (laughs) that list of alternative ways uh, uh, that I'm sure you're thinking of right now. It's a good list. (laughs) I bet it's a good list. I... The basis of this thing that I keep going back to is, yes, this is an incident right now that happens to be at the forefront of attention. The crisis that we talk about has been, like you said, decades in the making Mm -hmm. and realistically has to do with the systemic failure of democratic or not governments in Central and South America, which no one, again, seems to be paying attention to. Mm -hmm. And no one is talking about the human rights of the people in those countries who are trafficked or sold off or killed or maimed or threatened or anything else before they risk their lives again to get somewhere else where they may not have those issues but that's Mm -hmm. not even a guarantee Mm -hmm. and if you want to make this the fundamental thing that i go back to beyond that is that uh, is as much as i not detest but dislike a lot of the um, ways that things are being handled right now, it's a conversation that needed to happen, regardless of the way that it's being portrayed right now. Again, some of the processes and methods that they're using are not ideal in any way, shape, or form, and are pretty abhorrent. But this is something that is was probably going to be painful from the get-go. And beyond that, this has continued, at least from my perspective, to become a severely politicized issue that is not taking into account the actual human rights of the people that are undertaking this extraordinarily dangerous voyage across thousands of miles. Um, it's it's a political thing because they're here. You don't talk about, again, the people that are in Central or South America or a story that I was reading, which I'm sure <laughs> no one in this country is dealing with right now or has any idea about the fact that Algeria has... Uh, forcibly deported 14,000 people in the last year coming from sub-Saharan Africa trying to get to the EU, putting them in trucks, dropping them off in the the middle of the Sahara, forcing them to walk at gunpoint to some undisclosed location in Niger, um, and most of them end up dying. Mm -hmm. And the reason that this is happening is because the EU is putting more pressure on countries in North Africa to stem the flow of migrants that are getting there. Mm -hmm. Why is no one talking about that issue Mm -hmm. on such a grand scale like that? Italy Uh, said last week they're not going to honor EU immigration obligations. They're just not doing it. So I I understand that it's our country and, you know, we're supposed to be better than this and champion of human rights, but at some point, you have to understand that when you talk about it in that context, you sound hypocritical. It's just, in the sense that it's, it's, it's being made into a, a political movement and not something that is specifically for 
the dignity and rights of human beings to live without fear and the threat of you know mass incarcer incarceration or you know forced detainment when or it's these are larger issues that we need to be dealing with i don't think it falls I, I agree but i don't think it falls along the traditional partisan lines because i don't think this is a democratic republican thing this is i mean even this last week what you saw was republicans pushing back I against agree. this and I, I even think going back to george w bush i mean he was authentically he wanted to try to move some legislation forward and it was republicans who stopped him on that so you know, I almost I, wonder whether this is more of a debate within the Republican Party. Mm -hmm. Certainly, the Democrats are there, and they're going to seize on the moments, but they're they're less relevant to this conversation than Republicans are. I would tend to agree. I just think that the optics of this are so toxic that oh, yeah. it's impossible to not say that without sure severe repercussions. Optics to that some Trump kind of created, on yeah. His own. Which right. again, realistically, that's. Yeah, I don't agree with the way that it's handled, but this is a conversation that we needed to have that was going to be ugly from the outset. Ugh, these are these are this and like abortion. Those they're just bad conversation. Just bad. I just don't like talking. Yeah, about it. Bill, I'm gonna drink my beer. Well, Congress <laughs> doesn't like talking about it either. No, I mean right, not, clearly, uh, and, and that's that's the problem here. Back back to what right. yeah. these three branches should do. Congress could fix this. Uh, Congress should fix yes. this, and and it would solve the problem of a president using rhetoric that's very harsh yeah. if, if Congress would do their job. Yep. But even that gets around to they should fix this, but I don't know that there's enough agreement about how to fix it, right? So half, mm -hmm. you know, there's a big chunk that want a, a wall and no yeah. one is allowed to right. cross it. And another right. group that want this, you know, intervention in Latin America to prevent the crises that are happening and another mm -hmm. want open borders. And so, mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, something, but this is where it feels like I, and I know that some of this is nostalgia, but it, it feels like there was a point in American history where um, members of Congress from across the political spectrum could deeply disagree with each other, but mm -hmm. realize, hey, we've got to come up with a solution yeah. and we'll push and pull and, and negotiate and come to some settlement in which I'm not happy with half of it and you're not happy with half of it, but it's something that we can try. Right. Mm -hmm. And it feels like we've reached a point in American politics where that is just out the window. It's, yeah. a, it's, a, it's an all or nothing, win or lose sort of mentality. And so if, you know, again, I don't... It, Trump is an example of this. I don't mean to, I don't, he is by no means the only person, but his, you know, insistence on I, there will be no deal unless I get a wall right. is sort of the example of this kind of all or nothing thinking, all or nothing, nothing thinking that means that we get nothing done, right? The problem just sits there. Well, mm -hmm. and the idea, I mean, what they've embraced is this deterrent approach to say, we want to make it so uncomfortable, so difficult to get to the United States right. that, that nobody's going to want to come here. And, I think what we're seeing is that that's you can never make it so awful. Even if you build a big wall, I mean, the the individuals Nick that you cited that are fleeing Central America, that's they're fleeing authentically awful environments. Right. They're right. still going to come, and, and Mexico is going to let them travel through. So I just don't buy that this you can deter individuals from coming to the border. You have to find some other way, either addressing it in the local in the state itself, or I don't know some other mechanism well, for doing that. And there, this is where, you know, policy has consequences, so oftentimes unintended consequences. But, you know, there's lots of stuff that has been written about uh, policy on the southern border in which if you go back 40 years, essentially migrants flowed back and forth across the border without mm -hmm. it was right. it was more or right, less right, an right. open border mm -hmm. um, and an attempt to basically stop that flow and to put up 
a, a, either a literal or a legal wall that prevents mm -hmm. that movement has meant that it's been effective to some extent, but it means that people who used to come in for a season and then return back to Mexico to their families mm -hmm. come in and stay because the cost of crossing the border is so high. Yeah. And so in some ways, this attempt to prevent immigration has created this other problem with immigration. And yeah, I mean, it's just that we, I think we like to think of, po of, of issues in simple terms and mm -hmm. issues aren't, they're just not simple. For us or anyone else, I, everybody in the room knows my wife is Bahamian. Uh, the Bahamas has uh, a very unusual uh, citizenship and immigration approach, which is that it is, uh, unusual in modern times, patriarchal. So uh, our children are not citizens of the Bahamas, even though their mother is. If I'd been the Bahamian and she'd been the American, they would be. I can't work in the Bahamas, so moving there at some point, at least to be gainfully employed, isn't an option. Um, I, I guess my point yeah. is everybody wrestles with this. Yep. The Bahamas tried very recently to, to just pass citizenship through men and women and couldn't even couldn't get it. a referendum passed wow. on that. Yeah. I mean, it's ultimately these are questions about who are we, right? Are it's we? about who yeah. is who, you know, who is like us and who mm -hmm. is not like us, who yeah. belongs and who doesn't. Mm -hmm. And those are those are deep questions that require i mean there are hard questions mm -hmm. right and 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 i think we want some sort of simple solution and i mean people have wrestled with those questions for all of humanity well and for me it's hard to trust trump that he can speak eloquently for who we are right i mean i think mm -hmm. even if he came up with a good policy solution mm -hmm. i would be skeptical because you know, to going back to what we talked about in the other episode, this idea of what's his intent, and that that troubles me. But I mean, realistically, if that's the case, then in the end, it's it's our choice what the end decision is. I, I mean, it's Trump's choice. He this should <laughs> everything is his choice. Um, it's if he is not the right vessel, then this is the time to create a separate voice that shows that we are not that people we like we don't sure. necessarily ascribe to the viewpoints of our chief executive as much as he is the leader of the executive branch and realistically the way to do that is through congress so unless they are willing to make some sort of concerted effort to come together on issues like this then we are never going to get a unified voice on anything anymore if you if your only goal is to beat down the other party or to attempt to continuously try to dismantle something that the executive is doing that you don't agree with, then that's not a good tactic to get anything done, especially in situations like this that are so fundamentally important to the fabric of a society. It's it's just insane to me. So you, you're telling me this is all going to work out well? Yeah, obviously. <laughs> it's, almost, it's almost done. Yeah. Do, do how how bad do we think this is going to get? I mean, do we think that that Paul Ryan or Congress will find some legislation to just make this go away? I don't think Trump's going to allow it to go away. I mean, I, I think he thinks this is his issue for the midterms, mm -hmm. and he's going to hammer it and hammer it. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, let me tell you something. Justice Kennedy retiring today takes him off the hot seat. Mm -hmm. I mean, in some ways, yeah. I think what he's going to do is say Gorsuch as many times between now and November as he possibly can. Sure. And maybe try and take some attention off of this issue. Not relinquish it, not change his mind, but point at the one thing uh, that, uh, I mean, unites yeah. people, uh, certainly on the right. 
that would and that be a, is that was a great judicial nomination. Mm-hmm. He's clearly qualified. Do it again. That would be a brilliant strategy. Which makes me think yeah. he's not going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Oh, anything else on this before we talk beers? No, it's 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 just insane. Okay, it's really insane. Uh, uh, well, yeah, it'll it'll feed in well to the next topic. It will. I I, I think you were set. You were just laying the bridge there, mm-hmm. Nick. You were. We had some fantastic beers. Tom, why don't you start us off? Well, I'm, I I almost hesitate to mention the name of this great Fourth of July beer I brought, <laughs> uh, given the topic that leads into it. Uh, Ale America, the beautiful. Um, Love it. It's it's a mosaic hopped APA. Uh, by a brewery with maybe the oddest name in America, Hop Butcher for the World. Everything they do is great. If you can get your hands on any beer these people make, get it. And this is, I think, representative of that. It's a, it's a much better version of Listening Party. Same hops, same type of beer, but boy, oh boy, this, really, really good. This was one of the better beers I've had in a while. Mm-hmm. They make a lot of Citra Pale Ales. Mm-hmm. Is this Pale Ale or American Pale Ale? Or APA. What's, APA. Yeah. But sometimes the citrus is muted, and this that was just mm-hmm. just right for yeah, me. I really, really enjoyed that. All their stuff is good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, is it me? Yeah. Um, I don't know much about this one. Uh, Bill, you brought it, I believe. Yes. Um, Hopular Kid uh, from Alter Brewing, which again we talk about it in the other episode that you'll hear later this week because you're going to listen to it. Um, all their stuff is good as well. They're they're such a great brewery. Um, I like this one. It was a little bit heavier than mm-hmm. uh, than the last one. Um, and milder at yes. the same time. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. and it was noticeable going back to the uh, the previous beer how that really mm-hmm. kind of punched you in the face with mm-hmm. the flavor, and this mm-hmm. one's definitely a little more tame. smooth. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. yes, uh, but still a good beer. Oh no, it's really yeah, good. a more yeah. quiet pale ale. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Phil, what you got? Uh, I'm drinking um, a beer from Lamplighter Brewing Company called Not McKinley, which is this great <laughs> cover. Can you see that? Oh, that's very presidential. <laughs> anyway, it's it's topical. I can I can't decide. I mean, this isn't this is an IPA. I, it's it's by no means it's not bad. I just can't decide if I personally like it. It's kind of pungent, <laughs> and I couldn't f- quite place what the flavor was until I read the can. And it talks about pineapple, and it has this sort of pineapple-y, citrusy flavor. But it's uh, um, it it, it yeah. I, I I still come back to pungent. It's it's. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's good. It's not my like. I don't feel like I'm going back to it, but I could see where a lot of people would really enjoy it. So, so we we now know that you do not like grapefruit beers or, or pineapple, pineapple beers. beers. You're just not a big fruit person, huh? <laughs> wow. Oh. Keep your damn fruit out of my beer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, if you want to find the beers that we try on any of the episodes, uh, download the Untapped app. We're just Barstool Politics on there. You can find it on iOS and Android. Um, everything will be up there with uh, reviews. Uh, I think you can put suggestions on there as well. Um, so yeah, definitely try that out. Mm-hmm. Speed round, speed rounds. Let's do it. I, I'm so excited about this topic. I'm I, really excited. I kind of thought we could have done this for like a whole hour. Oh but, yeah. Uh, all right. So here's the question: Do politicians have a right to eat their cheese and Mexican food in peace? Don't mess with my Mexican food. <laughs> the question of civility in politics is once again on the table, Nick on the table <laughs> after multiple Trump administration <laughs> officials <laughs> were accosted oh while God, trying to enjoy a quiet dinner. Most notably, Sarah Huckabee Sanders was asked to leave a Virginia restaurant on Friday. She was out to dinner at the Red Hen with friends enjoying what I can only assume was a delicious cheese plate when the owner took her aside and asked her asked that she leave. Additionally, Heckler, Heckler shouted shame 
at Homeland Security Secretary uh, Kirsten Nielsen and fascist at Trump advisor Stephen Miller, which I kind of think he probably enjoyed. That guy just loves confrontation. Uh, both were eating at different Mexican restaurants, which I think is kind of interesting given all the immigration talk. It's delicious. Yes. Adding to the Fuhrer, Representative Maxine Waters, California Democrat, encouraged people to keep jeering at members of the Trump cabinet when they're out and saying, quote, you tell them they're not welcome anymore, anywhere. Um, now, I am both annoyed and fascinated by this topic. Do we condemn these hecklers for their incivility or applaud them for speaking truth to power? Moreover, does Trump, someone who wears his incivility as a badge of honor, have the right to critique those who push back against him? Nick, snowflakes, what yeah, do we think? Fuck them. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. Which is what an intern said this week to the president. Right. <laughs> Not just know. any intern. Yep. Keene State College student. <laughs> oh, no. Yay. Teaching them well, Phil. That is yeah. fantastic. Uh, oh. This is... I, um, I understand the concept of speaking truth to power and holding your elected representatives accountable and all of that goodness. This just feels like it's a complete breakdown of the ability to calmly debate topics and actually speak to your representatives about something that you disagree with and finding common ground or attempting to change their mind because you created or um, uh, presented a salient understandable point when you're just yelling fascist at people i heard that the owner of the restaurant kicked them out and then followed them to another restaurant and continued to heckle them see i hadn't heard that yeah that was that's a thing. The, that's not the Sarah Sanders. That's not yeah. Sarah. That's the other one. Uh, was it? Yeah. The Kristen? No, I, I thought I, it was the Sarah. The story I read of the Sarah Huckabee Sanders one was that uh, the the wait staff and the cook staff yes. expressed that they were uncomfortable with her, and I guess the owner actually went and talked. It sounded like yes. it was handled. But she, you know, she whether took, you agree with her being kicked out or not, it sounds like it was handled in a. She took Sarah Huckabee Sanders outside and said, "I'd like you to leave." That was that one was very calm. Um, I don't believe you. Uh, yeah, I thought that her father uh, texted or tweeted or something this week that they then oh. organized a display on the sidewalk right. when they went across the street to another restaurant. Mm -hmm. Well, and he's uh, never said or tweeted anything wrong. No, absolutely not. Or, absolutely not. No, we're all on the same page. But I, I, I mean, especially like the Maxine Waters thing. Like I, I, this is part of it. The first part of it was saying that you need to create a crowd and push back on them, which you can debate the merits of if she meant physically or if she meant with words or whatever. Regardless, you are an elected representative who is, uh, you're borderline inciting people to disturb the peace. And it's, again, there's a difference between speaking truth to power and just acting like an asshole. And you're telling people to act like assholes, in my opinion. So what do you think? So today Paul Ryan came think. out and criticized Maxine Waters, went, went up and gave a speech and said, this is terrible, it's incivil, this is not how we engage in political discourse. Mm -hmm. Paul Ryan would never do that to Trump. Is there right. is there a double standard? I mean, because well, he's Trump leaving. who calls on these sorts of things, calls for these sorts of things all, all the, the time, time public right? yeah. boycotts and pushbacks mm -hmm. and protests. And, and I'm all for civility, and I, I, yeah. I don't think, I, I would not condone anything that happened, but it feels like there's there's a disproportionate response here. I agree. I, I, I'm not saying that I, yeah. I agree with it from either end of the spectrum. If someone on, on the right is doing this to someone on the left, it's just as stupid. It, my point is that it seems to be more apparent, at least at this particular moment in time, coming from the left to 
members of the current party who is in power. It's, um, it, I, I don't know. It's, I haven't heard it. No, I, I, you know what? I'm not even, no, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going <laughs> to, nope, I'm going to punch out on that okay. one. Nope. But, but put it in a wider context. Uh, that is, think about uh, disinviting of commencement speakers. Right. Think about shouting down speakers. There is a dimension uh, on the left that is adopting a mob mentality mm -hmm. that I think is really worrisome. Um, whatever you think of Charles Krauthammer, and I'm guessing there's lots of different opinions on it. He said a thing I think that's really smart, uh, and it is, the right thinks the left is wrong. The left thinks the right is bad. Mm-hmm. And, and I, in some ways, I, I think, I, I don't mean to say everybody, yeah. uh, and maybe yeah. he did, I don't know. But w when you listen to Maxine Waters or you listen to people who, uh, you know, are part of the resist movement, Oof. there does start to feel like a sense in which um, it is right, uh, not right and wrong, but good and bad. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and that's animating a lot of college conversations in ways that are really troubling uh, so it is a big context. Right. Sure. Bastions of free speech it, who are now kicking people out because I, they don't agree with no, their particular... I would push back on that just a little bit. Yeah. I mean, when you think about... I mean, think about what Trump says about both the Democrats and the media. He's not saying they're wrong. Right. He's saying they're dangerous. They're enemies of the people. I think we've, I think we've lost let's, some of let's that concede, let Let's concede that Trump is part of that. Yeah. Show me all the rest of the places where people on the right are that. All over I, the place. Oh, I don't know. Like, look at uh, shutting down college speakers. At their national convention, they yelled, lock her up yes. to the opponent. That's not their wrong. That's just wrong. a good chance. That's she's <laughs> bad. That's she's bad. Well, That's, I mean, I, well, so conversations, I coming from a conservative like a conservative family and talking to people mm -hmm. my i mean they my dad thinks that democrats are bad he doesn't mm -hmm. think that they're wrong but he thinks that they are morally flawed is wow. that the, yeah. I, I mean can you is that the equivalent of someone I, I mean i my thought process is that people think that she's guilty of a crime that she was not held accountable for as opposed to someone who thinks someone is a nazi or a fascist like I, 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 I don't like I, 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 I they're both dumb this, ideas, but so I, it's bad on both sides. Yes. I just refuse to concede the I don't I don't think I think it might feel nice to think that the you know, the right thinks the left is wrong and the left thinks the right is or bad or whatever. But you, I just I, after the Obama years in which all of this just it is a problem on both sides. Yes. Right. It is that that these we don't view political problems as disagreements or as problems. We view it as statements about good and evil and i don't mm -hmm. think that's one side is more guilty of that than the other it's mm -hmm. the idea of being unwilling to see the other i, I think about the immigration thing that the idea of like it would be fantastic it's like congress needs marital counseling right where they can sit down and say <laughs> i recognize that uh that you know it's it's reasonable that some people in in the country are concerned about uncontrolled immigration or are worried about the security issues involved and the other side should be able to say and we recognize that these are people who have basic human rights and we shouldn't be ripping their children like they're they, they, it's like the unwillingness to even concede that the other side has a point I, that mm -hmm. it seems that we've that's the point where we've gotten to that it's not that i disagree about this issue you are at the core evil because you disagree with me well I, this is the other point which i, I coming from my age bracket and, and my particular perspective was very interested in with the Maxine Waters thing. Um, the response from Nancy Pelosi was, you know, pretty much you shouldn't be doing this. We need to present a unified front if we're going to 
win back yeah. the Chuck government. Schumer too. Yeah. Which I understand, but that again plays into the viewpoint that it's just purely opposition politics. It's not about, you know, we need to change things for the better. It's that we need to win. It's, and what really bugs me about that is it's the same people who have been doing this for 30 to 40 years and coming again from my age bracket and, you know, millennials in general, which I hate fucking using that term. (laughs) We're burdened with huge amounts of debt. We have shorter life expectancies now than the generation that came before us. Um, the likelihood of us having the same opportunities that generations had before us are significantly less. And these parties who continually talk about climate change or wanting to change things for the better don't necessarily do that, but use it as a ploy to get us to support them. It's This feels like, regardless of what political party that you're interested in i i this particular situation and again it happens to be the left going after the right right now but this whole thing needs to be broken down sure the the system as it currently exists and the people who run the system as it currently exists that needs to be broken down or changed in some way because it is fundamentally harming i, I mean our our current incarnation as a country but it's certainly harming future generations I, I wouldn't agree with I would agree with all that actually Nick but I guess my concern is that it feels to me there's this false equivalence where no false you know Trump engages in what he does and and Republicans don't push back at all uh, and if there's anybody who's undermined democratic norms norms of civility it has been Donald Trump in, you know, he oh, embraces yeah. that completely agree and it's as if you, you're, you're making the comparison like somebody's a mob boss engaging in all this criminal activity and then Democrats like engage in jaywalking. We're like, jaywalker, jaywalker. You know, and I, so I, I just feel like I don't know. It, I don't think Maxine Waters should have said what she did. It was politically stupid. It's not helpful to the conversation. But I also think it's so it's it feels like ganging up on Democrats here. I, I realistically, but, Maxine, uh, the, wait, I, sorry, I just want to pause to wipe a tear out of my eye. Uh, <laughs> That, that somebody's ganging up on Democrats. <laughs> well, my, I, I, my heart is breaking. I, I don't feel bad for Sarah Huckabee Sanders either, right? I mean, no. I think, right, I mean these are it feels it, bad for any. The right, right complains about snowflakes all the time, right? If you go out to a yeah, restaurant, snowflakes. you know, you have to take it. If you're, I'm sure Stephen Miller didn't care one bit that they were calling him a fascist, right? I mean, because he's got some thick skin, um, and he's a public <laughs> he's a public yeah. figure who has yes. chosen to like, yeah. I, I mean, uh, there. I think the, there's an interesting. There is a. There's a nuance here that matters, which is there is some point, right, where civility goes out the window, right. I, I, I think. Like, at some point, people are doing stuff. So I, I, the idea that I don't agree with you, but you're welcome to eat in my restaurant and we can talk about our disagreements. But there is a point at which you, the, your views become so problematic that I don't want you in my restaurant, right? And we can think of the extreme version of that, right? If Adolf Hitler comes into my restaurant... I. I would like. I would say no. I you time? you're not going to eat here. Do what? <laughs> Where have you been all this time? <laughs> In Argentina. <laughs> yeah, apparently. So uh, I think that yeah. the issue though here is that you have these really big. I mean, so. It seems silly to kick someone out of a restaurant in some ways, but this is happening in the context of thousands of kids being taken from their families, right? These are, I mean, these are, for Pete, for there are a lot of people who this is a massive moral issue, right? This is a big thing, and so to say, I don't, I don't want to serve you, like at some point that becomes a free speech issue, right? Sure. I don't want you in my restaurant. I don't want to serve you, 
at some point the civility goes out. I, I, I like civility. The problem, I think, is that we as a country are having a hard time finding where that point is, right? At what point are the your views so so offensive to me that civility goes out the window? And and being able to go down that road further than we are, but yeah, I, I, it's, I, I'm, I'm sort of struggling with a different double standard than, than Bill is, and it is, uh, I, I come back to the masterpiece case. Mm-hmm. I was thinking, I was just we're, thinking We're just dying to yeah. tell this guy that he has to serve somebody because we support the thing uh, that he doesn't. And, and I find myself thinking, I'm, I'm the libertarian here. I don't think private, non-monopolistic, non-necessary businesses should have an obligation to serve anyone. That is, I think you should be able to tell people they can leave because of what color they are, what race they are, what gender they are, period, in a private, non-necessary, non-monopoly business. Uh, and that, frankly, solves a lot of problems here. Uh, it, it, you stop worrying about, Phil, what the line is between when is it okay to throw somebody out and when isn't it. Yeah. It's, it's my business, and I'll do as I please. But what I don't think you can do is hold in your head at the same time these two thoughts. I want to compel a baker to serve a person with whom he deeply disagrees based on a long-standing religious tradition. Mm-hmm. But... I think it's perfectly fine to throw people out because of their political views from my restaurant. I, I, these, I recognize yeah. the situations are a little bit different, yeah. mm-hmm. but you can't hold those two thoughts in your head at the same time uh, and make sense of them. But can't you flip that and say, if you're going to be Donald Trump and say that you can't Absolutely. force a baker, then you can't complain about the fact that you kicked out of a resta- restaurant. Okay. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. 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 Yes. Oh, we solved it. I'm glad. That was easy. <laughs> Everybody's getting along. Yay. <laughs> That's a good topic. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, Trade wars. uh, Topic two. As President Trump pursues his trade war with many of our uh, closest trading partners, it's becoming clear that trade wars may not be so easy to win. A number of U.S. companies have expressed concern over the uh, counter tariffs that China, Canada, Mexico, and the EU have placed on U.S. companies. Most significantly, Harley-Davidson the iconic American motorcycle manufacturer and Trump favorite announced that it would shift some production of its bikes overseas to avoid retaliatory tariffs being imposed by the EU. Some have begun to wonder whether Trump's protectionist approach might backfire. Just yesterday, Paul Ryan from Wisconsin called for an end to the tariffs and return to free trade. Trump responded with a series of tweets accusing the company of surrendering, quote, if they move, watch, it will be the beginning of the end. They surrendered. They quit. Phil, you drive a Harley. Uh, What does the spat between (laughs) Harley-Davidson and Trump suggest about the likely success or failure of his trade war? First of all, I wish I rode a Harley. (laughs) Second of all, um, actually, yeah, well, I won't go into motorcycles. But anyway, um, (laughs) um, I mean, this goes back to what we were, what I would what we were talking about earlier with immigration, which is that policy is complicated and it has consequences and it has oftentimes unintended consequences. And so I think that Trump sees policy as simple oftentimes. And this is an example, right? Uh, China is not playing fair or, you know, EU is not playing fair. I'll impose tariffs. And even if he's right, you have to take into account the consequences of the actions that you take, right? So when I, when I, you know, if I'm, if I'm the president, it might be very, you know, I, I think about Chinese currency manipulation and how that's problematic, but just getting them to change that has deep ramifications for the trade balance and the cost of goods in the U.S. and the cost of goods in China. And this seems like a perfect example of that. He wants to see it as a simple, you know, we're going to punish 
the the cheaters. But uh, even if that's a, a valid thing to do, what that ends up doing is driving up the cost of aluminum and steel, which affects American manufacturers, which makes them, you know, have to go to other places. And um, I, I, you know, I don't know. It seems like a, it seems emblematic of modern political discourse in lots of ways in which we want things to be simple and they're not. Mm. <laughs> and when they're not simple, we just get mad rather than actually like wrestling with the complexities of it. Well, right. how about this simple? Uh, Bill's got a long list of ways he's going to solve the problem. <laughs> I got him. I got I've him only got on. one on my list. I understand at the G7 uh, meeting, we offered a zero tariffs approach to life, totally free markets. Uh, and it was rejected by both the Europeans and the Chinese. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. You're not fighting a trade war when you say to people, Let's not have any tariffs at all. So I need to understand exactly what it is that the other side wants so badly and how Bill's going to solve sure. the theft of intellectual property. Chairman Bill. Uh, <laughs> a couple things. Without fighting a trade war in a civil, excellent end. Sure. <laughs> uh, so the trade is complicated. And so you're talking about tariffs. And, and you're right that the EU and China are less concerned about tariffs with the United States than they are about subsidies. So there are multiple ways in which you can undermine the free market. So Trump's argument Zero is, let's, well, the U.S. wouldn't be willing to get rid of. I be agree interesting with you there. to see. You're exactly right. So really the U.S. Be interesting. isn't willing to get rid of subsidies. They mm-hmm. just want to get rid of tariffs. And mm-hmm. China comes back and the EU comes back and mm-hmm. says, hey, we're not willing to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, my thought on this is that there's no doubt that China is cheating in, in, in a multitude of ways. Mm-hmm. But how you approach that is not by just imposing tariffs that is it's going to go back and forth and escalate. You reach out to your allies. So if you want China to, to move in a more positive direction on intellectual property rights, you reach out to the EU. You reach out to Canada, those close allies, and you begin to put pressure on them as a collective union. You on don't, China. Yeah, on China, right. You don't alienate the EU. You don't, I mean, because right now what's going on is the EU wants nothing to do with the United States. They're not cooperating with us. Same thing with, with uh, Canada. So this this unilateral way of just imposing tariffs, I don't think is going to get China to move one bit. Well, I mean, what, uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to say the same point over and over again. I'm, I'm wondering when uh, uh, there's an example of that sort of, should we have isolated China? Maybe we should have. Yeah. Um, that assumes Europe would go along with us in doing that. I'm not sure that's true. Mm-hmm. But let's assume it is. Um, uh, Trump's not the first person to confront intellectual property theft. Uh, and I think what he's saying, and I, I, I don't want to be the apologist for uh, certainly his incivility, and, uh, but, but let's ask this. Nothing has worked to solve the China problem uh, since they industrialized. Mm-hmm. Nothing. So I think what Trump says, and, and typically he has a very simple approach to everything, is if nothing else worked, I'm going to fight a trade war. Because, as he's told us repeatedly, they're easy to win. Uh, <laughs> but I don't know. Do they? Uh, what it boils down to in his mind, and I'm, and I'm eager to hear somebody tell me this is incorrect, they need our markets worse than we need theirs. Because we're not in their market in any meaningful way right now. Uh, their markets are essentially closed to us. That's China. Right. Uh, so we lose less than they do if our markets are closed to them. He sees this as uh, a, a negotiation where I either pay more for the car or less for the car. But both I, lose. I, I that's, think that's... I, go yeah. ahead, Bill. I think that's where it's that it's not that simple in that they need our... We, we need their market. <laughs> um if if nothing else, we need 
to have access to their goods, right? So this is Harley Davidson is an example of that, is that they need our markets, but we need their cheap goods for our manufacturing and for our industries to also be able to function. So when we don't have, you know, all of these auto industries and solar power energy industries, oil, oil and gas has taken this huge hit. So it's a major industry in the mm -hmm. US and it's mm -hmm. not because we need access to Chinese markets. We need access to Chinese goods for that oil and gas industry to be able to function. And so I, I think that's the that's the part that is potentially short-sighted for Trump, right? Because it is, it is, they do benefit from Americans buying Chinese goods in this sort of direct one-off sort of level. Mm -hmm. But in the mm -hmm. second and third and fourth kind of iterations mm -hmm. and levels of that is where it comes back to bite us, I think. I, I guess my counter to that would be it's, I completely understand why we need it in the current situation that we're in, but we need, you know, cheap Chinese goods and potentially labor because we have this unmitigated, unfettered, borderline, unregulated, globalist, consumerist system. Not not globalist in that sense. You know what I mean. It, it's, it's a system that was put in place, which we are at the center of, that realistically is based on the continuous increasing need for cheap labor and goods and commodities that has no end point and if we continue down that road realistically like a, i'm sorry go ahead you sound like a socialist I know. <laughs> no i i but I, but i mean i i guess the the other part of this point is that regardless of what you do to make china come to the table in these particular situations they're they're going to find a way around it. They always find a way to get around the regulations or stipulations or laws or anything else that we put in place because they don't give a shit. Like we, we, we um, put this standard on ourselves that most of the countries, especially China, really doesn't give a shit about. But we need their stuff, and they clearly don't need it as much as we do because they don't have the regulations that we do. I, it just it doesn't sure. it doesn't make sense from a long term strategic perspective to continuously go down the road that we've been going down. Yes, so I've, let's, I've scrutinized so, the international law, and I don't see a Chinese Foreign Corrupt Practices Act. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> we police our own business people right. in other countries and prevent them from doing things that they do routinely right. in other countries. Exactly. It's a absolutely. totally different approach. So, Much better said But we than benefit me. from that system. You were talking about the oh, system. Oh, yeah, there's we absolutely a benefit. And I don't know if we're better off now than we were six months ago. And maybe you could argue that, well, you know, six months down the road, China will cave, but I'm not so sure that's the case. No, but, but something that's certainly needs what to the president thinks. Yes, absolutely. Right? This is a war. Yes. And, mm -hmm. and wars are won by attrition. Right. And I think he thinks we can, we can suffer Harley Davidson making motorcycles in... Is it Taiwan or I don't know uh, where they're going, wherever. Yeah. We can suffer that for a few years, but eventually what's going to happen is we're going to win. I don't, I don't know whether that's true or right, not. That's right, that's a good question. <laughs> the other, the other that's, thing, that's the mindset, right? Sure. The other thing, and I know we need to move on, yeah. is that his ultimate goal, he talks about trade balances. And when you hear economists talk, they say that trade in, the trade imbalance is a stupid end goal. Meaningless. Right. right, and so that concerns me as well. If that's what you want... If you want to bring steel back to the United States, I, I, I question that goal as well. Sure. Yeah. I, I, just, I just want to wrap up by saying that it sounds to me like what both 
Nick and Tom are arguing for due to these inequalities around the world in terms of practice and whatnot is that you both, basically you're both saying we need world government, right? Yeah, absolutely. Oh Let's break down the borders. <laughs> One Time, people. Time's, time's up. Phil, my friend, there has never been a time when you've heard me argue for more, different, better <laughs> government. <laughs> government uh, is a vulgarity in, in my lexicon. <laughs> oh, that's good. That was good. All right, time to talk Turkey. So Turkey's president, Recep uh, Erdogan, was re-elected on Sunday, and his coalition took command of most parliamentary seats. This was a crushing electoral defeat for those who are alarmed by Erdogan's blatant authoritarian behavior and rejection of democratic principles. His victory extends his 15-year-long hold on power and grants him sweeping new authority of both, leg both the legislature and the judiciary. It's easy to forget that at one point, Turkey was a model secular democracy. Of all the democratic declines we've seen around the world in the last decade, Turkey's has been the most dramatic. It mirrors the democratic collapse we've witnessed in Russia, Venezuela, Poland, and Hungary. And as we've discussed in the past, these leaders are using the very mechanisms of democracy to undermine their democracy. Phil. You're our resident expert in the field of comparative politics, and you drive a Harley. What do you make of these developments? And, and I guess my question is... When Bill's not infesting your living room right. with his visits. Right. I know Harley made mopeds. Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> I, I will say, like I, this this bothered me, and there were so many other news stories that nobody was talking about it, but I feel like this is, this is a significant blow to global democracy. Yeah, I mean, it fit, like you were saying, it fits into this broader pattern. I mean, I, I come back to... Sort of two themes that go with this, with his electoral win. One of which is again this broader pattern around the world of democratic systems eroding, not not collapsing, right? Not collapsing into authoritarianism, but eroding into these what we would call hybrid regimes, right? In which they are essentially um, there are still elections, but they essentially become elected authoritarian um, states, um, and so that erosion of sort of democratic norms in general globally is of concern. If you look at the sort of second half of the 20th century, this belief that democracy and liberalism and sort of Western, you know, Western democratic models of government were the future is is obviously in doubt. Um, the other part of it, I think, is are these themes that I come back to and I always worry about being the boy who cried wolf or whatever. But Turkey is a fantastic example of the ways in which, again, democratic regimes don't collapse overnight. They erode very slowly over long periods of time. Mm -hmm. And it's why I think um, sometimes it might seem like I'm being alarmist when I get upset about the um, degradation of democratic norms or like things that seem small that that mm -hmm. Trump or that others, you know, mm -hmm. it's not just Trump. Others mm -hmm. are um, eroding kind of this. Uh, when we talk about democratic norms, it's it's about sort of the, the core values of democracy or liberalism. Right. And and Turkey is a classic example of that. He, he has been elected and little by little he has. Um, targeted the media, has targeted opposition parties, so that he continues to get elected, but he continues to be elected in what are essentially non-competitive elections, because he has done done away with the competitive part of democracy. And mm -hmm. and it's not that he had a military coup and you know took power and declared himself emperor. It's it's little by little, um, you end up here, right? Yeah. The stunning thing is that he won an election. And, and he won, and, and his part, party won, or his coalition won, 
people are willingly supporting that and and like you this this really really troubles me but they're also willingly supporting it because opposition parties have been done away with yeah, it yeah, because right. the media right. is controlled by yeah. him and so the, mm-hmm. the 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 true you know there's not a free and fair media anymore it's like right. russia right putin can continue to win elections because right. yeah. of the way that he has rigged the system mm-hmm. at the same time but, probably, but people do vote for it at right. the same there's yeah. a huge amount of the population that i'm sure given their geographical location and you know the diplomatic issues that are happening around there absolutely support this and want stability and security and don't want to deal with the possibility of having someone else in there or another party in there who is not going to you know do what the current party can do it's yeah especially if you benefit from those in power right Right. you create these clientelistic networks where you benefit from that system and of course you're going to support it and and it was i think the day after he he was elected he there was a massive roundup and arrest of those and, and again, he waited until after the election to... He brought them to a party. Right. They're all at a party right. right now. It's not a good party, Nick. No, I'm, well, it's debatable. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's just... Yeah. It, I, I mean, it's it's really, really frightening because I, we've talked about, you know, in the um, the special episode that we did. Was that during that episode? Or was that earlier in this conversation? I can't remember. Um, no, it was earlier in this conversation. Um <laughs> You know, the collapse of democracies in Central and South America and, you know, throughout North Africa and the Middle East. And you see this pattern evolving. And I'm not really sure what the root cause of it is at this point, but it's become very evident that people want security more than anything at this point, at least in these particular areas. And there doesn't seem to be a tremendous amount of pushback at least at this point and maybe because they've devolved so far that you know those voices are suppressed or or completely taken out of the conversation but it's it's extraordinarily frightening to see how quickly it has changed over the past decade or so that was the word i was just thinking about frightening the way in which democracy can slow it's again slowly they're extraordinarily hard to put in place they're very easy to dismantle from within yes because they're, they're smart. It's a frog in a pot of water, right? Right. You mm-hmm. turn the heat up a little bit at a time, and the frog slowly boils alive. But at what point, right, it, when it goes up two degrees, three degrees, like at what point do you get concerned? At what point have you, you know, done the damage? And that's it feels like with a democracy, it's done in those small increments that are almost imperceptible as they happen. Right. But it's the sort of cumulative effect that leaves you... Uh, yeah, it, it's it is it is scary. It's scary because of the end result. It's also scary because it can happen sort of as you watch if you're not right, careful, sure. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. Last one. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Got to read again. This will be fun. <laughs> All right. Uh, according to a Gallup poll this last week, Trump's overall approval rating hit 45 percent, and among Republicans, it hit 90 percent. He is the most Mew. yes, he's the most popular president among republicans since george w bush in the aftermath of 9 11 it's fair to say that trump has solidified support among republicans additionally it appears that republicans have bonded with the president and their support only goes stronger the more democrats attack trump the resilience suggests a level of unity among republicans that could help mitigate mr trump's low overall approval ratings and aid his party's chances of keeping control of the house in november it also suggests that trump is not likely to shift his behavior or unconventional tactics and why would he this is a winning cycle for him he says something outrageous 
Liberals and never-Trumpers are outraged. It then comes full circles when Republicans are annoyed by liberal never-Trumpers outrage. This can only get better, right, gentlemen? <laughs> Who wants to start? So I think that the, uh, the, the interesting part of this is that there was another poll that came out this week that showed that his net approval is at like record lows. So he has his approval rating is higher. Yeah. But when you so net approval is where you take in disapproval as well. So his approval has gone up, but his disapproval has also gone up. So now when you're you just bringing the, weird numbers into the I conversation know, know. and nobody likes numbers, Phil. <laughs> but in, what that what that means in, is that um, it's that polarization we're yes. talking about, right? Mm-hmm. Like yep. he's, he, there are a lot of people who like him, but there are a lot of people who really hate him. It, this feels different. I don't. Maybe it shouldn't. I, I think back to Obama. I think about George W. Bush. It feels like this has mm-hmm. been going on for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it doesn't feel like if we went back thirty or forty years ago, this would have been the case, right? This idea of I disagree with the president, but I think he's doing a good job, mm-hmm. um, and that seems to yeah. have gone out the window um i don't know that this necessarily bodes well for trump it it doesn't bode badly necessarily if you have but i still think that you know come uh come 2020 um republicans if it comes down to trump versus nancy pelosi they're gonna like trump but i still don't know that if it's trump versus some other republican that they're still gonna be fully on board with trump I mean, you, you made a good point in the intro, and, and we've talked about this with, uh, with Suzanne on, on previous episodes. It seems over the past several weeks and probably the past, I don't know, couple months or so, there seems to be a solidifying of the Republican Party that not necessarily unexpected, but the degree, the, to the degree that we're seeing it is relatively unexpected. Yes. Um, and it'll be really interesting to see the results of the midterms going forward. I don't, again, I from day one, I said, I don't think it's going to be the bloodbath that you snowflakes think it's going to be. Um, it's You're the snowflake this episode, Dick. <laughs> Apparently I'm a communist. I had no idea. Um, I, I, it's and globalist and and globalist, <laughs> globalist. yeah. Yep. The both of those. Sorry, things. I'm distracting. I just you. never want to say that. We're gonna have to put you in a camp somewhere. I just really don't. Um, yeah, it's it's. I I I don't know. It's it's crazy to think that the repu- the approval rating among Republicans is that high, given the divisiveness of the topics that are currently happening, but. Mm-hmm. The partisanship that we're seeing right now is something that we probably haven't seen since oh, yeah. Vietnam, something like that. If not, I, I, I can't think of another time. The, um, yeah. the New York Times had a fascinating piece this week where they reached out to a whole bunch of Republicans to kind of get their view of Trump. And what they found is even with college-educated Republicans who didn't like all of Trump's antics, they hated how Democrats and never Trumpers were mm-hmm. responding to this. Yep. So it wasn't necessarily what Trump was doing. It was the it was just the dis- disdain for the Democrats and their complaints and the never Trumpers who don't shut up. I relate to that. Right. So <laughs> and so even if you don't necessarily approve of Trump, you're pulled toward him because like I don't want to be with those guys, right? right? You know, I, maybe I don't like Trump, but it's better than Nancy Pelosi, Maxine Waters, or you know, Steve Schmidt, you know, former Republican, whatever that might be. It's and that, for me, that was a really fascinating dynamic. He's framed mm-hmm. himself as David fighting Goliath. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, and and he draws people to him with that sort of appeal to I'm the victim, I'm David, I'm waging a war against Goliath. Yes, uh, yes, uh, and it really works. Yes, mm-hmm. it really works. Yep. 
And if I was him, I don't, as much as this troubles me, I don't know if I would change. Every time he says something outrageous and liberals get up in arms and Rachel Maddow is so mad, I know that solidifies his support. Well, and that's the thing. There were there was one article that I read over the past week or so about the um, Democrats and liberals losing their cool. Yes. And their, again, we talked about it a lot, their inability to just look at the particular issue <clears throat> or something the president said and you know come back with a salient response as opposed to you know fascist and nazi and you know right. all of that nonsense but regardless of whether you agree with it or not they seem to continuously be splintering more and more regard uh, uh, depending on the particular faction that they're aligned with and if the end game is to hold power at some point i don't know if that bodes well for them in the midterms or at all going forward if oh. this is if this is their deck or this is the hand that they are playing they're not playing it very well well that's what democrats do well, well not playing lose? their hand well obviously yeah <laughs> so, they're really so, bad so if you political it. scientists could wave a wand and and sort of change one thing or two things what would it be i mean that is as as, as we worry about the the loss of democracy and and i think you could worry a little about it here i uh, Partisan gerrymandering is, is, a, is a way in which we have eaten away at the edges of genuine democracy. What would you do? Ooh. Phil? Well, I think. Um, well, I would have to think about it a little bit more. My initial, my first thing I went to was changing our election system. Um, to uh, I, if again, I was complaining about the was it in the other in the Supreme Court episode where I was complaining about the winner take all system. Mm -hmm. um, the that going to some sort of proportional representation in which you have multiple parties it sort of diffuses that mm -hmm. it doesn't do this like us versus them yeah. mentality mm -hmm. it allows parties to take up specific issues that might you know i i just i'm a i'm a big fan of that i think it it undermines some of that like in you know incredibly competitive yeah. one versus one mm -hmm. um approach if i could change one thing it would be our election style and i think you know that doesn't do away with it but i feel like it like releases some of that pressure yeah but there yeah. are winners and losers phil that's it you can't have a middle ground <laughs> i know so so i saw hamilton i can't find anything to nitpick with in that same uh, <laughs> that's, good. that's pretty <laughs> good which is to say having a third party in my judgment is incalculably important to us yeah. yes did you say you saw Hamilton? I saw Hamilton this Did week. Did you hate it? No, I loved it. Sing wow. us a song, Bill. Sing us a song. I don't, I don't remember the lyrics, but it was fantastic. <laughs> but it, it struck me because I've been spending a lot of time thinking about, you know, the Trump era. Mm -hmm. And is this a flaw in the system or is this just one individual who's found a way to mm -hmm. take advantage of the system? And I'm mm -hmm. after seeing Hamilton I and, you know, seeing Hamilton and Madison singing at each other. Tom, it was fantastic. <laughs> it wasn't really them. What? I don't know if really? you're right. It's not actually Madison and Hamilton. You're telling me George Washington isn't an African-American? No. Wayne Brady was not Aaron Burr, actually. Yeah. King George was the best. But nevertheless, but it, it caused me to think about the system itself, which I think mm -hmm. over time is, is a good system, but it opens up opportunities for people mm -hmm. to take advantage. Yeah. And I feel like Trump is taking advantage of it. So... You know, gerrymandering is an easy one, but I just, I don't know. I, I would like to find a way of preventing populism from taking control of the system. And that's not an easy... I think you can. No, I, I, In a democratic system, how do you prevent something I mean, we're like seeing that. it in Europe. I mean, right. that's the thing. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know if demo democracy is good at confronting this threat that we're facing so right now. So communism. I got it. No. No, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> Phil? 
<laughs> I was kidding. I my students would. Yeah, I I'm a big fan of single. I was going to go off on a comparative politics nerd rant, so I won't do that though. I'll save you. Yeah. All right. Okay. I need the thing that made so I, I'll I'll give you the preview. The thing he will anyway. Thing that Maine is is doing with the single transferable vote system is something that Ireland uses. It's a way. It's like this great way that like there's a breadth of parties, but pop like these sort of like extremist parties are really kind of kept at the fringes. Mm -hmm. It requires consensus. It forces parties to come together. Anyway, I won't bore you anymore. There are other ways. I think that's the lesson. Yeah, we are wedded to this idea that the Constitution was written. It was handed down by God, and it is like the only way that we can do government. And there are other ways that we should actually think about and talk about. False. <laughs> uh, that was fun. We cannot end uh, on, on my beloved constitution. Cut it off, cut it off, Nick. Cut off, Being Nick. an alternative to other better systems, which it's not. Oh, no. Power oh. went out. Oh, um, any final thoughts on these things, guys? No, this was fun. I like it. Yeah? Good. I like talking. With each other and not be pissed at each other when it's done. Right. This is how we should this do. This is still exactly this how it's Exactly. We should yep. all drink when we ever. All <laughs> we talk about. It. <laughs> You're <laughs> all stupid. <to> get out. <laughs> um, well, if you've liked this and our inability to not kill each other after uh, talking about these things, um, follow us on Facebook at Barstool Politics, Twitter at Barstool Paul P O L. Um, beers that we try, you can find on the Untapped app on iOS and Android. Uh, the podcast itself you can find on SoundCloud and Stitcher and Google Play Music and most major podcasting platforms, I believe. Uh, and then definitely we're on iTunes, so um, review us on there, share us through there. Um, that helps us a lot. You guys have given us a lot of good reviews uh, over the past few weeks, so we really appreciate that. Um, Tom, thanks for, for sticking around yes, for two fantastic. hours of this nonsense. Highlight of my month every month. <laughs> it really great. is. I just love it. Anything else, guys? Yeah. Cheers. Right. Cheers. See you next week. <laughs>